Hey, how's it going, everybody? Yes, it is good to be back with you. Elizabeth, sit down. Sit down. Where are you going? Thanks for coming. Uh, welcome to Grafton. This is the College Ministry of Faith Bible Church. It is 2020. Hey, who had a good break? You guys good? Who's back in school? Who's not back in school? What? When does school start? 28th. 28th. Wow, all right. Hey, anybody here that is sick? Let me see a show of hands. Yes. You need lots of pumps of the hand sanitizer. I just was miserably sick for almost two weeks. I couldn't talk. Then I couldn't breathe. Then I coughed all over the place. Then I flew to Hawaii this week and sta stayed in a hotel room, wandered around Waikiki by myself, uh, and coughed up a storm. It was really painful. But I'm over it, and I'm better. So for those of you who are sick, Lord willing, there will be an end to it. Isn't that good to know? I, it's, you know that point where you're sick and you're like, I'm never going to get better. I was there, and then Wednesday, finally, it was over. Anyway. Hey, I'm glad that you're here. My name is Sean. I'm the college pastor, and uh, it's good to be with you. We've got a lot going on in Grafton. You just got your little uh, calendars, and uh, we've got so many things happening here. We want to tell you all about them. You'll hear a little bit more at the end with some announcements. And uh, obviously, Radix, like Terrell was saying, is getting going, and a ton of other stuff that's happening. So make sure you get plugged in. Get onto our Instagram. Um, get onto our website. Find out. Get onto our, our weekly email that goes out that says all that's happening. There's a ton going on, and you've got to be connected to all that. And uh, we want you to be here and be with us, to be part of our community. The reason that we gather together each week is very simple. Ready? We want to help college students know Jesus Christ. That's the reason that we're here. And so each week, we spend time singing songs of praise to Him. We spend time opening the Word of God and see about Christ in the Bible and what it means to have a relationship with God Himself through Jesus Christ. And so we're glad that you're here tonight. If it's your first time, thanks for coming. Thanks for being daring and coming into some strange house. I was just looking. There's drones flying around out there. So I don't know what's going on, but you're here. We think that you're, we think that you're safe, okay? But we don't know what's going on. So anyway, there's safety in numbers. There's a good chance the person next to you might die, but you'll probably be fine, right? Anyway, all that said, tonight we start a new series. It's on the book of Revelation. And if you, if you were to take a survey of college-age people and ask them, hey, if we're going to take a topical approach and teach on something, what would you like to, to hear messages on and be informed on? And typically there are two things that come to the top of that list. Number one is... Relationships. It's true. It's true. We'll get there. Maybe this summer. Number two is end times. Everyone wants to know what's going on in the future. And maybe we should do the study of the future first because maybe it will reveal something about your future relationship. I don't know. But we'll see where it goes. In the meantime, this semester we're going to handle this topic of eschatology. It's a big theological word that means the study of the end. And uh, I got to say, many people are fascinated with the future. And maybe you're one of those people um, that is just fixated on what's happening next. Maybe not just next week or next month or next year, but what's happening at the end. You're drawn, you read Revelation, you're fascinated by it. Super cool. You watch movies about the end of the world. Uh, and I think it's only natural for all of us as human beings, and especially true for you as collegians, 
to be concerned about your future. In many ways, your entire life is ahead of you. You finally left junior high and high school behind. Are you thankful for that? Some of you are. Some of you are like, wait, those were the best days of my life. I I had no responsibility. I got to just hang out with my friends all day long. Now I got to go to work, um, et cetera, et cetera. But your life is ahead of you. There's an open door staring at you. You're not under... You're not sure what's there. It's wide open, and you'd like to have some answers about where it's all going. Where will I go to school? Some of you are going to junior college, which is great. I'm a huge junior college proponent. I spent four years there, okay? (laughs) Then you're thinking, where am I going to go? Where am I going next? Like, what university am I going to attend? Some of you are thinking, should I even go to school? What will my career be? Who will I marry? How many kids will I have? How much money will I make? Where will I live? What will my wife be like? I mean, excuse me, my life be like? I guess my husband be like, whatever. What are all of these things? Maybe, hold on, maybe you're a little bit more morbid and you think about how am I going to die, right? You ever seen that thing online? Go to deathclock.com, type it in. You type in some things about your life like... uh, I'm going to lose all of you as you see you pretending to take notes on your phone. Death clock, you put in your age, you put in some statistics about your life, and it spits out a time when you're going to die. It's like January 17th, 2064. It's, like, it's freaky, right? Like there is an actual time where every person in this room will no longer be above the ground, okay? It's coming. It's going to happen. It's a reality. I don't know. We'll be from a plane crash. I flew across the Pacific yesterday, and the, this little tin can 40,000 feet above the, above the water is shaking a little bit. And I'm thinking, what if the wing just rips off? In fact, I got up from my seat, and I went towards the bathroom, and I had to walk past the door. And I thought, right on the other side of that door is literally nothing. And if I just walked over and pulled that little hatch out, what would ha- I mean, I, it's just you get these thoughts, right? Maybe, maybe it's something a little bit more on the morbid side like cancer. Um, that will come and ravage your body in crazy ways. Maybe you'll live to a ripe old age and live a really full life. Or maybe you'll fall asleep one night and while you're laying on your back, somebody will come with a short dagger and put it right through your neck. Which, which is my number one greatest fear? Okay? You know what they say, some people, most people, their, their greatest fear is what? Number one, greatest fear, public speaking. Number two, death. And then I've heard this said, Jerry Seinfeld said this, most people then, would, if they were at a funeral, would rather be in the casket than giving the eulogy, right? Which is crazy. But anyway, this week I was coughing my brains out and I thought, I'm going to die coughing. I'm literally going to have a lung come up out of my mouth and it's going to be over. It was one of those miserable experiences. But anyway, we want to know how we're going to die. Some people are preoccupied with the more distant future, right, about how life is gonna end. Some people are are preoccupied with even the big picture of where is all of this going? Where is the world going? How will this world end? Maybe it's global warming, right? We're hearing a lot about this as the polar ice caps are melting and water is going up. Eventually we'll we'll all be under, no, it's not gonna be all be underwater, but But who knows what that means. As the temperatures get hotter and hotter, we're destroying the rainforest. Is there going to be anything left for our kids and our kids' kids, etc.? Maybe giant earthworms or aliens are going to come out and destroy this planet. Maybe there's going to be an asteroid that comes and hits the planet and it will send us into another ice age. I don't know. What are we heading towards? 
How about this? When will this world end? Tonight? Maybe. Tomorrow? My lifetime? In your lifetime? Maybe in a hundred lifetimes? We don't know. How about this question? Why will the world end? Is it something that man does that brings an end? Is it something that God does that brings the end? People are crazy over this. And maybe some of you are in that same boat where you are fascinated by the end. Some read horoscopes. Some go and and have their uh, tarot cards read or palms read, right? Some people look up to the stars and try to interpret what's going on there. Some even consult psychics. There's a ton going on. But all such attempts to look into the future are vain. Do you know that? They are. Because the Bible declares that no one except God himself sees and knows the future. It's in Isaiah 46, verse 9. Listen to this. God says this, I am God, and there is no one like me, declaring the end from the beginning. Scripture clearly teaches that God is in charge of all that's happening. That there was a distinct beginning to this universe in which God spoke and it came into existence. And there will be a distinct end to this universe when he will speak again and it will be destroyed with fire. God brought this universe together with his own hands. He created it. And there's a day coming where he will uncreate it. Make no mistake about it. We are headed towards a destination. This world is headed towards a fixed point. It is heading toward, listen to this, a single day. There is a singularity in the future that is coming. Scripture says, should I have you turn there? Look at Acts 17.31. Let's flip around a little bit. Make this message even longer than it needs to be. Acts 17.31. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Acts 17.31. It says this. He, speaking of God, has fixed a day. There is a day on the divine calendar in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, speaking of Christ, having furnished proof to all by raising him from the dead. There is a day coming, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. Flip over there. It's to the right, almost to the very end. 2 Peter 3, verse 7. It says, But by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, check this phrase, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. Psalm 9 verse 8 says, and he will judge the world in righteousness. He will execute judgment for the peoples with equity all over the scripture. It talks about the fact that this world is headed towards judgment, towards an end. We are on a collision course with an an eventuality of future. And we get closer to that day with each moment that passes. Now, Revelation has much to say about the future. It is a guide left behind by God himself so that we would be able to see to understand and watch this, to prepare ourselves for that eventuality. And so the question that I want to answer tonight um, is why are we looking at this book? Why are we studying Revelation? And I want to give you six reasons tonight why this matters, why it's important. Six reasons why this book was given to us. 
It's only the first three verses of chapter one. In the introduction given there, we're going to see these six reasons come out. And, and I'll use this to introduce this great book so that we have some clarity and some direction on where we're going this semester. So I've got you in Second Peter. So flip over to Revelation chapter 1, and let's read um, these first three verses in chapter 1, and we'll dive into the six reasons why we're studying this book. Revelation 1, verse 1. <coughs> it begins... The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his bondservants the things which must soon take place. And he sent and communicated it by his angel to his bondservant, John, who testified to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near. It's good. So let's dive in. Why should we study the book of Revelation? Point number one in my little simple outline. We study the book of Revelation because it reveals Jesus Christ. It reveals Jesus Christ. Look at the first phrase of verse one again. It says there, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, when we open this book and think about the end, we often get sidetracked with other aspects of it. Think about the Antichrist. Who is the Antichrist? Enough pictures I saw of Barack Obama or Donald Trump or name any other Republican or Democrat or some leader in in Europe or of Islam. All these different people. Who is the Antichrist? The Revelation has a lot about him. What about a sea that turns to blood? It's interesting, right? Or the number 666, right? Um, What about the, the mark of the beast or the lake of fire or the battle of Armageddon? We come to Revelation because we want to know the future of mankind. We want to see what happens to the angels and to the demons. But in reality, all of these are side issues. They're all fluff. They're all extras added to one simple and precise theme. And that is this. This book is about the revelation of Jesus Christ. This book is about Jesus Christ. There is one great theme. Now, When you open your Bibles to the book of Psalms, right? If you just open right to the middle, you'd come to this book of Psalms. It is plural. There are 150 individual Psalms gathered together in one book. I call them Psalms plural. But if I tell you to open to an individual chapter in the book of Psalms, I would say turn to Psalm 73. Because it's singular. Turn to Psalm 23, right? Now, when you come to this book, it is not the book of Revelations, plural. Look back at verse 1. This is the revelation, singular, of Jesus Christ. This is a singular revelation. That word in the Greek of revelation is the word apokalypso from which we get the word apocalypse. And by definition, it means to uncover, to unveil, or to reveal. 
So said a different way, that first phrase says this. This is the uncovering of Jesus Christ. It is the unveiling of Jesus Christ. Now, this is not the first time we've seen Christ. In the Old Testament, there were whispers about this coming man, the seed of the woman in Genesis 3. We see him as the better prophet, as the better judge, as the better king, all throughout the Old Testament. Whispers and shadows of Christ are there. But when we get to the books, uh, to the Gospels, to the book of Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, you see that Jesus is the theme of those books, right? They tell about his first coming, his appearance when he came as a man, as a baby. We just celebrated at Christmas, born into a manger in a stable to a peasant family in a barn in an obscure village. He came in obscurity. He preached. He healed. And after three years of ministry, he was executed as a common criminal after being spit on and mocked and beaten. Philippians 2 says that he even humbled himself to the point, as a bondservant, to the point of death, even death on a cross, right? That is the picture of humiliation. And the last that the world saw of him, he was suffering and dying on a cross in shame and utter humiliation, But that is not the picture of Christ that we see in Revelation. The revelation of Jesus Christ here in this book is far different. He does not come again as the suffering servant. He comes as the conquering king. He does not come as the lamb who was slain, but as a rider on a white horse whose robe is dipped in blood and whose eyes are a flame of fire. He came once to seek and save the lost, He comes again to tread the winepress of the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty. He came once with a shepherd's staff in his hand to gather the world to himself, but he comes again with a sword so that with it he may smite the nations and rule them with a rod of iron. He came, like I said, to seek and to save the lost. He comes again for judgment. Revelation reveals, uncovers, unveils the majesty and glory of the Lord Jesus Christ as the risen Savior who sits on the throne of heaven. Listen to the names of Jesus in Revelation. These are not all of them, just a short little collection. He is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler over the kings of the earth, the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the Almighty, the first and the last, the Son of Man, the Son of God, he who has eyes like a flame of fire and feet like fine brass, he who is holy, he who is true, he who is the Amen, he who is the true and faithful witness, the beginning of the creation of God, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Lamb who was slain, the Lord holy and true, the King of the saints, and the Word of God. Jesus is the center of this book And he is the center of history. And we can say that history is his story. It is all about him. It's always been about him. It will always be about him. He is the object of our salvation. He is the object of our worship. He is the object of this book. He is the object of all of history. He is the center of all things. He is all in all. He is that first place in everything. And he is, Colossians 3, our very life. So why study this book? We come to Revelation because it shows us Jesus Christ. And we need to see him. 
we need to see him high and lifted up. And if in your mind the picture of Christ is always Christ hanging on a cross, bloodied and beaten and dying, that is a great picture. And it is reality. And it is the heart of our salvation. But he no longer hangs on the cross. He is risen from the dead. He has ascended to the right hand of God the Father. He sits on a throne and he is coming back. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. So why study this book? Because we need to get our eyes off of ourselves. We need to get our eyes off of this world. And we need to get our eyes onto Christ. Colossians 3.1 says that we are to keep seeking the things above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Hebrews 12.2 says that we are to fix our eyes on Jesus. The author and perfecter of our faith. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and he has sat down at the right hand at the throne of God. 1 Corinthians 13, 12 says that for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I have been known. He's coming back and he is gonna be revealed and Revelation gives us a picture of what's happening. Friends, let us look at Christ. Let us fix our eyes on Christ. Let us raise our hearts and see him as the resurrected, glorified Lord. To know him more, to love him more, and to await his return with even more eagerness. So we study this book because it reveals Jesus to us. Number two, we study the book of Revelation because it was written for us. It was written for us. And I would say in parentheses, a parenthetical statement, for some of us, not for everybody in this room, this book wasn't written for all of you. This book was written for some of you, for some of us. Well, what do I mean by that? Look back at verse one. It says, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him, check this phrase, to show to his bondservants. The book was, getting to be, was given and written to be shown to his bondservants, to the bondservants of Jesus Christ. Let me say it a different way. This book, the book of Revelation, is a gift. And it was given by God to his bondservants. Well, who are his bondservants? What is exactly does that mean? It's like an old, weird phrase. His bondservants are Christians. Those who have willingly laid down their lives and submitted to the Lordship of Christ. Those who are walking this way saying, I'm doing my own thing, I'm living my own life, I'm I'm in charge of my own future, and one day came in contact with God himself, and at that point they bent the knee, said I can't do this life on my own anymore, there's no way I can be made right with God on my own, and they turned from their sin, put all their faith in Jesus Christ, and said now I want to walk and follow him, and I willingly submit my life to him, and I will be his slave, I will be his servant, I will be his follower. It's those who follow him and who love him. This is written to his bondservants. But they're called something different here. That Greek word is the word doulos. The Bible doesn't necessarily call us Christians. Only one time in the New Testament. The phrase servant or doulos or bondslave is a much more common name for Christians. Listen to the definition. One who is completely controlled by someone or something. A servant. A slave. 
You know, in the Old Testament, the Jews had a custom that after a person was a, a servant for a certain amount of time and they were free, they were done. Their, their indentured servitude or their period of service was over. They could come back to the master and out of love and submission say, I want to continue to serve here. And the master would take them over to the, to the doorpost of the house and would put their earlobe up against the, the, um, the frame of the door and take a, an awl and would pound it through, the, through the, the lobe of the ear and put a hole there. And the statement was, anybody who saw that would know, and the statement made by that person was, I willingly stay out of love to serve this master. I'm no longer forced. I'm under no obligation. This is no longer my duty. I'm here because I want to be here. I willingly put myself under them going forward. If you're a bondservant of Jesus Christ, one who serves him willingly and out of love, then listen again. This book was given for you, written by God himself, given to his bondservants, it says there in verse 1. God wants to show you the glory of Jesus Christ and to help to prepare you for what is to come. But remember that parenthetical statement, not for all of you. If you're here tonight and you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, you have not come to the doorpost yet and willingly put your life down and said, I'm here. Right? And allowed your heart to be stamped by the Lord Jesus Christ as an act of loving and willing service to Him, then this book was not written for you. If you're still walking this way saying, I don't need that religion, I don't really need that, I'm doing fine on my own, I'll take my chances, I'm sure I'll be okay in the long run. This book is not for you. You are not a bondservant of Jesus Christ. And I don't expect that I'm going to keep your attention for very long. Honestly, because there's going to be some interesting things in this book when we see the sea turn to blood, right? When we see the Antichrist revealed, when we see this worldwide war, uh, crazy things are going to happen here. But ultimately, you're going to miss the point of the book. And you might walk away going, that was pretty interesting. But the book is not yours. And it was not intended for you. Okay, in fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 says this. But a natural man, speaking of people that are not Christians, that don't submit to Christ, listen to this. A natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them, for they are spiritually appraised. What does that verse mean? It means if you have not submitted to the Lord Jesus Christ, then certainly you may understand the words as I explain them. And conceptually say, yep, I see the flow of logic, I understand what's there. But you will never, unless you're a Christian, understand the truth that is contained therein. It will never grip your heart. It will never change your life. It will never become real to you because you are not a bondservant of Christ. But for those of you who are not, and if you're here tonight, you don't even know why you're here. Uh, or if you're a churchgoer, been coming your whole life, inside you know there's nothing really there but you're still here and and you don't even know where you're at, I want to just encourage you to keep coming. Keep listening. Keep asking questions. Explore these truths. We are so glad that you're here and you want to know more about what it means to be a Christian. And we want you to come back to be exposed to who Jesus Christ is and how you can know him. 
And so we're studying this book, again, to be revealed, to see Jesus clearly. And secondly, we were studying this book because it was written for us as Christians. It's a gift. And we want to understand that gift. Number three, we study the book of Revelation because it tells us our future. It tells us our future. Look back at verse one. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his bondservants, check this phrase, the things which must soon take place. The things which must soon take place. Revelation, as we've been talking about, is a book about the future. You can see it right there in verse one. The things which must soon take place. Future time, right? This is a bird's eye view of the end of the world. It tells the exact story with great clarity on how the end will happen. Now in the book of Revelation, just to give you an overview, you will see the end of human history. Well, currently you're going to see John chapter 1. These are things that are happening today in his world. Chapters 2 and 3 are seven letters to the churches currently happening, seven churches in his time frame. Chapters 4 and beyond are future And and we see there the end of human history. The judgment of God poured out upon the earth as the ocean turns to blood, stars fall from the sky, people are slaughtered, and the battle of Armageddon in which the satanic forces unite with the kings of the earth make one final stand against God. Crazy, chapter 19. We see the return of Christ. He is riding on a white horse. People always say, are there going to be animals in heaven? I don't know, but there's at least one white horse, okay? So there's something there. Jesus comes riding on a white horse. His earthly reign is established during which um, a thousand-year period called the millennium. The great white throne follows that. It's a judgment in which all those who reject Christ will be judged and thrown into the lake of fire. talks in Revelation about the new heaven and the new earth. It describes the ultimate defeat of Satan, Uh, And sin and the final state of the wicked, that is an eternal torment in hell. And the final state of the righteous, that is eternal joy in heaven. Why study the book of Revelation? Because it tells you the future. And I can't help you today with who you're going to marry. Okay, maybe it's the person sitting next to you. Is that awkward? (laughs) But I I can tell you this. The book of Revelation is no joke. This is not a crystal ball with a little head in it, like on the ride at Disneyland, right? Um, Haunted Mansion, thank you. Right, what did she say? Couldn't tell you. The little dingy, dingy, dingy. What did she say? The whole monologue, anybody got it? All right, whatever. Okay, it is, I've lost you already. The book of Revelation is not foggy, It is not unclear. It is the word of the almighty, sovereign, eternal God who has allowed us to peel back the annals of history and look into the future. Now, God gave us a book to describe the beginning. It is the book of Genesis. It says there, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Knowing where we came from matters. It does. That is why Genesis is so important. God created this universe in six literal 24-hour days. He spoke, the universe existed. It's unbelievable to think about. He put his spirit into man, his own image. He breathed the breath of life and man came alive in Genesis 1 and 2. 
In chapter 3, man fell into sin, ate, ate of the fruit, and ruined the intimate relationship that he had with God. And so he was thrown out of the perfection of Eden. And the way back to God was barred. Remember that? A flaming sword and cherubim that guarded the way back to the presence of God. As if to say, because you are now sinful and I am holy, there is a distance between us. The relationship has been shattered because of your sin and you can never come into my presence again. And man and God are now at war with each other because of this. And judgment is a result of that. And we need to understand that as our story. It is where we came from. It is our current reality. Living in a broken world full of sin. But watch this. God also gave us a book to describe the end. It is the book of Revelation. That all of this universe is heading toward a final destination. And here in this book, we see God pour out judgment on his enemies and bring his children home. In Revelation, watch this, we go back to Eden. Have you thought of it that way? It is paradise restored. Sin is dealt with. And we're able to come back face to face with God himself and that which separated us has been removed and we dwell with God face to face, walking with him, talking him and knowing him. Friends, it will not always be this way. Okay? Sickness will not be around forever. Suffering and pain, loneliness and affliction, hardship and loss are temporary. They are but for a time. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 says that our current affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison as we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are unseen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are unseen are eternal. God gives us the end of the story for a reason. It matters. And while there are difficulties in interpreting this book, well, what are the locusts? Are they going to be Apache helicopters coming across? Like, what is all this going on here? Seven horns? What does that mean? How am I going to figure all this out? 144,000, is that literal or figurative? Here's the bottom line. This book, while there's difficulties in interpreting it, it is not unclear. God didn't mumble when he wrote Revelation. But it is to us to study it, to understand it, and to live in light of the realities that are revealed within. And we're going to do that. Okay? We're going to do that. And it will tell us the future. Okay, number four. We come to the book of Revelation and we study it because it can be trusted. It can be trusted. Now there's, like I said, a lot of theories about the end times. And a lot of people who believe a lot of different things about where this whole thing is going. So why should we trust the book of Revelation? Well, look back at the text. At the end of verse 1, it says this, And he sent and communicated it, what is it? The book of Revelation, by his angel to his bondservant, John. Verse 2. Now speaking of John, it says, Who testified to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, check this phrase, even to all that he saw. Even to all that he saw. This was given to John, and he testified of the things that he saw with his own two eyes. Okay. He was an eyewitness. He was an eyewitness. This is crazy. The, the strongest 
witness that there is is someone that sees something with your own eyes. Once you've seen it, you what? You believe it. You, you know it. It happened. You witnessed it. There is no doubt in your mind because you were there when it happened. That's what happened with John. Arguably, he was the closest friend of Jesus while he was on earth. Of the inner three, he was the one. You know how I know that? Because when Jesus is hanging on the cross, he looks down at John and says, John, will you take care of my mom when I'm gone? That's pretty intimate, don't you think? It was John who leans back on Jesus' chest. Two men, one laying on the other. Not weird, intimate and close. John was there when Jesus pulled his flesh back and revealed his glory on the Mount of Transfiguration. John watched Jesus heal the sick. He saw him restore sight to the blind, heal the deaf, make the lame to walk. He was there when Lazarus came back from the dead. He was also there at the cross when Jesus was dying. He witnessed the earthquake, rocks being split in two, the sky going black, and a sword being thrust through the chest of Jesus Christ, and water and blood came out as his heart exploded. He saw Jesus die. But then three days later, he was there running into the tomb to see he's no longer here. He has risen. And he was with him for 40 days. And then he watched him standing there looking up into heaven, Acts 1 says. And he's looking up. Jesus is just like matrix straight up and gone. And it says the disciples are staring up into heaven. And two angels come up and go, what are you, what are you doing? That same Jesus that you just watched go up, guess what? He's coming back. He's going to put his feet down on this exact same spot and set up his kingdom. In John, 1 John chapter 1, verse 1, John says it this way. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, listen, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. He is an eyewitness to the first coming of Christ. He saw all of it. And now here he is, some 60 years later. It's somewhere around AD 96. There's been incredible persecution to the church. All of the other disciples have been martyred. They're all dead, killed for their faith. John is the last one. He is an old man who had survived being boiled alive in oil. He had been exiled to a small island called Patmos. And at nearly 90 years of age, he is given a vision of the future coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now watch again. He sees it with his own eyes. So look down at verse 10, chapter 1. I heard behind me a loud voice like the sound of a trumpet saying, write in a book what you, what's the word? What you see. Look down at verse 19. Therefore, write the things which you have seen, the things which are, and the things which will take place after these things. He was given the direct command from Jesus Christ to write down what he witnessed, what he saw. There is no more powerful testimony than the eyewitness. And if you flip over to chapter 22, go there really fast, last chapter in your Bible, turn all the way to the end, and look at verse 8. This is his closing statement. Having seen all these things, having written 22 chapters, 
he finishes by saying, I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. As if to say, you can trust me. You can trust this because I saw it with my own eyes. And when I heard and saw, he said, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed me these things. He can't believe it. He just falls down to worship. And the angel says, what are you doing? Don't do that. Don't do that. I'm a fellow servant of yours. I'm a doulos too. And of your brethren, the prophets, and of those who heed the words of this book, worship God. Fall on your face and worship God. We study this book because it can be trusted, because it's based on an eyewitness account. So we see that it, bring, it reveals Jesus. It was written for you. It tells the future. It can be trusted. Number five, this book brings blessing. It brings blessing. We're going to study it because there's a promise of blessing written therein. It's that simple. Look at verse three. Blessed is he who reads. That's pretty cool. And those who hear, that's pretty cool, the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it. Seven times in this book, blessing is promised to those who read it. It is here at the beginning, and it is repeated at the very end, 22.7, the verse right before we just read, it says, and behold, this is Jesus, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who heeds the word of the prophecy of this book. Like bookmarks, John wants us to know there is blessing. God is saying to you, there is blessing inside of these bookmarks. Come here, study, read, hear, and heed and you will find the blessing of God. The principle is pretty simple, right? When you obey what God says to do, when you, when you heed his warnings, there is blessing in life. That's what James 1.25 says. One who looks in, you want to turn there? Let's look there. James 1.25, it's just a couple books over. James 1.25 says, one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer. What does it say? This man shall be blessed in what he does. Open the word of God. Read it. Apply it to your life, including the book of Revelation. And God promises to bless you. This is his final word to man, the book of Revelation. It is the last book to be written. It marks the completion of the canon of Scripture. It brings blessing because it motivates us, motivates us to live in light of our future reality. Look at 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10. Look at 3.10. It says, do you guys know where that is? Just like really close to James. Right after James. 2 Peter 3.10. But the day of the Lord, remember there's a singular day. The day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat. That's where it's going. And the earth and its works will be burned up. Okay, look at verse 11. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? There's blessing in this book because it opens your eyes to what's coming and forces you to turn your pathway and live in light of that reality. And with that comes blessing. Look at 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. Couple more books to your right, right before Revelation. First John 3, 2. John says, same author, beloved. Now we are children of God. We are doulosses, different names for the same thing. 
and it has not yet appeared as, as yet what we will be. What does he mean by that? Look at the next phrase. We know that when he appears, that's the second coming, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. That's the future reality of where we're headed. And look at verse three. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. Again, when you see the things that are coming, that we will see Christ, that we will stand before him, that all these things are going this direction, it will force us to purify ourselves and live in a way that God will bless our lives. Blessing comes to those who read this book because they'll fix their hope on him, because they'll purify themselves, because they'll live in light of the realities of what's contained within. So why should you study it? Because it brings the blessing of God to your life. It's really simple. It's a promise. And there's one final reason. Look at, uh, let me say this, number six. The last reason to study this, it is a warning. Revelation bears a strong warning. Look at the end of verse three. All that he said so far, he ends with this phrase. You see it there? For the time is near. For the time is near. The time is near for what? The time is near for the end, for the judgment of God, for that fixed day when God will judge the earth. Let me say it differently. The time is near for the return of Jesus Christ. The time is near for the revelation of Jesus Christ. Jesus is coming back. He is. This is his world. He bought it with his blood and he's coming back to vanquish sin and evil and to rule. And this book brings a warning. Go to Luke chapter 12, verse 40. You gotta see this. Luke 12, verse 40. Turn your Bibles there, please. And let's see this warning that Jesus issues. He says there, you too be ready. That's the warning. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. Look down at verse 45. But if that slave says in his heart, my master will be gone, will be a long time in coming and begins to beat the other slaves, both men and women, and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him at an hour when he does not know and the master will cut him in pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. Listen carefully. Jesus is coming back. He's coming back. The end is near. The time is near. And the question that Revelation is asking us is, are you ready? Oh, that we would live and be prepared for that day. Not guessing. Not wondering, will I make it? Will I be okay? But ready for the return of Christ. Like those five virgins that have the, the lamps and they filled them with oil and are ready. Not like the ones who didn't and now the doors are closed and they're stuck in the outer darkness. That's a, a, a parable in the Gospel of Luke. That we would be prepared. Micah 7, 7 says it this way. But as for me, I will watch expectantly for the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation and my God will hear me. What a great promise. That's awesome. God, he's coming back. For those who know him, who are his bondservants, what an exciting thought. You have nothing to fear. 
Your sin has been removed. There is nothing that stands between you and a holy God. Jesus bore that, that sin on the cross. You are perfect in His sight and are ready for that day. Jude, Jude, chapter, Jude verse 24 says that you can stand before Him in the presence of His glory, blameless and with great joy. There is no fear in love because perfect love, 1 John 4, casts out fear. And we come to Him not worried about those things as Christians, ready for His return so that we can be with Him. But for those who are not ready, revelation serves as a warning. Judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. And the question for you is, will you be ready? Will you be ready? Flip over to Revelation chapter 19, verse 11. Let me just read this. It's one of the most compelling passages of Scripture in all of the Bible. It's also one of the most fearful It speaks directly of the return of Christ. When he comes from heaven, look at what it says. John again speaking, eyewitness, and I saw heaven opened. And behold, a white horse. And he who sat on it is called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. And he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Why study Revelation? Because Jesus is coming back. He is coming back to reward those who are his followers and to judge his enemies. And we need to be ready. There's an old story in the House of Representatives in 1789. On one particular day during the meeting of the house, the sky grew dark very quickly, ominous, and some of the the representatives looking out the window feared that the end of the world was at hand. It was that kind of a stark contrast. Voices from around the room asked, can we adjourn immediately so we can go be with our families? The speaker of the house rose and said, the day of judgment is either approaching or it is not. If it is not, there is no cause to end the meeting. If it is, I choose to be found doing my duty. Therefore, I wish that candles be brought. And the simple point I'm trying to illustrate with that story is that the the end is coming and I want to be ready. I want to be found doing my duty, living in light of the return of Christ, don't you? Living knowing that he's coming back, expectantly waiting and looking, Micah 7-7, for the coming of the Lord. And instead of fearing the end, instead of running from it, let us be found living faithfully, doing our duty when Christ returns. Amen? Amen. Tonight we've seen six reasons why, studying, why we're studying the book of Revelation. Because it reveals Jesus, because it was written for you, because it tells your future, because it can be trusted, because it brings blessing, and because it serves as a warning for us. I'm excited. I hope you are too. This is going to be a great study. And I can't wait to see Christ revealed as we work our way through this amazing book.
And I hope you'll come back to see what God has in store for each of us in the coming weeks, as well as into the future. Ooh, there it is. All right, let's pray.